They call the uh, series of events that started Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, they call it what? The Passion, right? We were involved with the Passion. We were involved with that, that whole drama that we did in New Orleans. And I've been reflecting on that. And the Passion is called the Passion because the Passion is actually a love story. And it's a love story between God and you. It's not, it's not a theological treatise that's written, even though it is theological. And it's not just about historical events, even though it is about historical events. But more than anything, it's the passion because it's a love story between God and you. One of the great devices of the enemy is to distort something that's good, right? That's one of the big ways he works. He, he takes something that's good and he distorts it. So I'm getting some more information about the passion, right? Tyler Perry's passion that he's doing. I didn't know what it was all about, but I'm getting information. So I did a Google search, the passion New Orleans. And on the front page of Google, what pops up? is the Passions Gentleman Club on Bourbon Street. <laughs> no, I don't, I click on that site. No, I don't think that's the site I want to go to. That's not the one I'm looking for, right? But after I saw it, I said, like, that's the enemy. He takes something that's good and he thwarts it or he distorts it in a way that he cheapens it. Right? Yeah. I looked up the word passion, and one of the definitions of passion is this. It's a strong, intense, intoxicating, loving feeling towards something or someone. Yeah, passion. Someone has passion for, for art or for cooking or for a person is in love, you say they have a strong, intense, somewhat intoxicating feeling towards what? Towards someone or something. So this whole series of events that we call the passion is all about a strong, intense, intoxicating love that the Lord has displayed towards you. Yeah. That's what the passion is about. And it's impossible to understand this book unless you read it from the perspective of a love story. Amen. Amen. That's right. If it's just a, a theological treatise, it's, it, you, you miss it. You miss the whole, the whole purpose of it. So we're going to explore tonight that the passion is a love story. I want you to open up to John chapter 3 if you have your Bibles. If not, you can just listen. John chapter 3. Y'all remember Nicodemus? Jesus had a dialogue with Nicodemus. And he was basically explaining to Nicodemus about being born again. And he was saying a man must be born again in order for him to experience and see the kingdom. And Nicodemus was kind of confused and he said... What do you mean born again? Do I go back into my mother's womb and this happen again? And he said, no, 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 no. 
you're born again in the Spirit. He's trying to explain this whole concept of Nicodemus. And then he talks about the Holy He talks about the Spirit, and the Spirit blows where it will. And you feel it, but you don't know where it comes from. And he's talking, he's trying to, he's trying to teach him something. And then he turns to Nicodemus. Go to chapter 3, verse 11. Verse 11. See what he says to Nicodemus. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. This is Jesus talking. And you do not accept our testimony. Verse 12. If I told you earthly things and you did not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? There's two realms. There's the earthly realm of what we know of by nature, by our experience. And there's another realm called the heavenly realm. Jesus understood the heavenly realm. But the people he was talking to did not understand the heavenly realm. So he had to explain to them what the heavenly realm is like. And the only thing he could draw upon to explain the heavenly realm is to use earthly images. So he would use images like being born again or the wind to try to explain heavenly realities. And Nicodemus was saying... All right, teacher, you're going a little fast for me here. <laughs> Slow down. I'm trying to hang with you, but what do you mean? Go back to the mom's womb. No, 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 no. And so, so what Jesus constantly did was he had access to the heavenly realm. And what he's telling Nicodemus is, if I'm trying to teach you heavenly things by using earthly images and you're not getting it, how are you going to get it when I'm just talking about heavenly things? So... If you look at his parables, he's constantly using like earthly images to try to explain the heavenly realm. And it kind of fits, but it doesn't totally fit because it's, it's about a different realm. What I propose to you tonight is that Jesus was trying to explain to us so much what his purpose was here and what the Father is like. And he has used so many different images but one of the images that he was trying to get across to us is that it's all about a love story of him pursuing you and pursuing me. And he often used different images, but one of the images that the Holy Spirit took hold of to try to explain that heavenly truth is he used marriage. The union between a husband and wife. Or the pursuit of a groom after what? A bride. And he used that image to try to portray to us the relationship that we would have with heaven, with Jesus, with the Father. And he would use that image of marriage. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to read a lot of scriptures tonight to show you what I believe the Lord was showing me. And Jesus talks about marriage. There's a foundation of marriage. Is marriage is talked about in scripture as the ultimate union. It is the union that if, if Jesus was going to use any image to explain the oneness that the Father and Him desire to have with us... He had to try to find a natural image that expressed a oneness and a union that was the ultimate union. 
And so the only example he could really get a hold of was the union of marriage. Because Scripture says that when a, a man leaves his mother and father and joins himself to his wife, the two become what? One. one. They become one flesh. That's why a breakup of a marriage is so painful and so heart-wrenching is because it's such a deep, deep, deep union. That's why, that's why sex is reserved for marriage. Because when you join yourself in a sexual union, there's so much that's exchanged at that point. If it's not in the sanctity and the commitment of marriage, if it doesn't work, it's a very, very deep hurt. That's why we have sexual morality. It's not about don't do that. It's about this is the ultimate union you can experience. And if it's not in the context of a committed relationship, the vulnerability of being hurt is so high because it's meant to be in the context of that, that sacred union. So he's trying to use uh, marriage. He talks about marriage, but I want to talk about Jesus addressing marriage in chapter 19, <coughs> verse 4. It says, Jesus is answering the Pharisees. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Say one flesh. One so they are no longer two, but one flesh, would therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. When Jesus talks about marriage, he's talking about the ultimate connection and the ultimate union between two that become one at such a deep level, right? You see that? Now, what I propose to you is that one of the illustrations that is used throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit uses throughout Scripture to try to describe the intimacy between Jesus, the Father, and the church is the image of marriage. It's a love story. And that, that we need to... There's a oneness that's created. When, John, when he talks about John's Gospel, he said, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes after I go back to the Father... He will be in you. He will dwell in you. And our Father, me and my Father, will come and make our home what? In you. We'll become one. There's a connectedness that's so deep that sometimes it's hard to grasp. Paul talks about it. He says, he says we are one body. Christ is the head. We are the body. How do you get more connected than that? That should be a validation of the prophetic ministry in itself, shouldn't it? We're connected to the head so we, we understand his thoughts and we can speak them out over people. And so there's this intimate connection, these different images that are being used. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5. If y'all with me, say amen. Amen. Okay. All right, chapter 5 of Ephesians. Start at verse 18. I was, I'm going to start at 21, but I want to go to 18 first because it's fun. 
Verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, in my translation, but be filled with the Spirit. What's the insinuation? Don't get drunk on wine, but it's okay to get drunk on what? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. (laughs) What? You're saying it's okay to be intoxicated on the Holy Spirit, Paul? Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) And if any of you all want to experience that, come Thursday night at Victory and Friday and Saturday, and Rodney Howard Brown's there, and... uh, and I promise you, there will be some intoxication they released. Charge, they charge? No, it's, it's open. Okay. Okay. Come, early. Come early. So go down to, uh, I love that one, 18. But go to verse 21. Or verse 22. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. I want you to read this, not in terms of him teaching about marriage, but he's actually using marriage as an earthly symbol of teaching a spiritual reality. Like we said in chapter 3 of John, right? He's using these images that we all know of to try to teach us of the heavenly realm. Paul's doing the same thing right here, and he's talking about marriage, but towards the end he says, He says, I'm really not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ's relationship with the church. I'm using marriage as an image. So he says right here, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So what is he saying? He's saying that we as the church ought to be subject to Christ in everything who is what? The head. And he's not only using that we need to be obedient to what he's telling us to do, but he's using the image of a what? A marriage. He's talking about the relationship of a husband and wife who are one flesh. And he's using that same image and he's saying, I'm describing your relationship with Christ. That you are one flesh. That you're intimately connected in a passionate bond that's beyond anything I can describe, but the closest I can come to it is talking about the union of marriage. Then he says, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. So is he saying that Christ loves us as his own body, as his own self? He who loves his wife, his own wife, loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. Verse 31. Where have we heard this before? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Say one flesh. Verse 32. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. I'm speaking in reference to Christ and his relationship with you. <laughs> you have to get this. He's saying, I'm speaking, just as a husband and wife are joined as one, I'm speaking of a mystery, and this heavenly reality is the same thing as your relationship with Christ, his relationship with the church. It's a love story. The passion is a love story between you and the Lord. Y'all getting this? As I was meditating on this, it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit just starts putting things together sometimes. And so, he brought me to Peter. How many of y'all remember what the Lord told Peter after he said, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah, and Jesus turned to him and said, he said, Simon Barjona, now your name will be Peter, which means rock, right? And upon this, this rock, I will build what? My church, right? Peter is a symbol of the church. He's a symbol of the church. All right. Peter is rock. Rock's a symbol of the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the wife of the husband. The husband is Christ, right? So Peter is the rock, build my church, and the church is the bride. In Revelations, right, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. There is this, this image that, that is through Scripture about being the bride, and Peter represents that. Now, go to chapter 16 of, of Matthew. You're going to get good with your Bibles, right? Because we're all over it, huh? Matthew 16. I remember when Holly Kim and I first started going to a church that taught a lot out the Bible. We would always go to our index, you know, like, where's that book, you know? But now we've gotten better, huh? We've got tabs and we got better. <laughs> Matthew chapter 16. I have no shame. <laughs> Matthew chapter 16. And I want you to go to verse 16. 
Simon Peter answered, verse 16, chapter 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loosed on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. It's interesting is that he's calling Peter the church, the foundation of the church, and then he's giving. A bride is a receiver. The groom is a giver. Right? That's biologically how we made as a giver and a receiver, right? right. And, and Peter is, a, is, is the rock, he's the church, Jesus is the giver, and he says, because you're in right relationship to me, I will give you the keys yes. over Hades, over hell, yes, Lord. over all the power of the, the demonic. So, so there's an element that Peter... He doesn't say it here, but we're just putting scriptures together, right? That Peter is rock, he is church, he is the one that Jesus is in this relationship with that represents the church of what he receives and the power that we get and that the dominion that we start to have. I want you to go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And we're working towards the scripture that Bray read for us so beautifully. Chapter 19 of John. Verse 28. Verse 28 says, chapter 19 of John, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Say, It is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He said, It is finished. Now, I need you to follow for a second, I need you to follow and listen, listen, um, and I try to make it as simple as possible. Simple, simple. All right, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. That was the language it was written in, and it's translated into English, and that's what we read. There's also manuscripts that were written in Aramaic. New Testament was written in Aramaic, and that Aramaic uh, was also can be translated into English. So they had some different manuscripts that are talking about the New Testament, right? In the Aramaic New Testament, it says, it is finished. And the word finished in the Aramaic, which we know Jesus spoke Aramaic, the word finished is a word called kela. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's K-A-L-A-H is the transliteration. Kela. And that word means finished or complete. 
But that word is also a homonym. A homonym is a word that has, it's one word, but it has two different meanings. So the word bark is a homonym. Bark in English could mean the sound that a dog makes, but it also could be the thing that covers the trunk of a tree. So it's the same word, but it has two meanings. This particular word in Hebrew, kalah, is a homonym. One of the definitions of it is finished or complete. It is finished. But the other homonymic definition of it is bride. What? It's bride. So could have Jesus said when he was on the cross, it is for my bride. It is finished for my bride. The Passion Translation had this little note, and it was talking about that, and I was saying, this is powerful. That the Lord's last thought in John's Gospel, because John is the, he's the beloved disciple, right? He's the one that identified himself as, I am the one he loves. And my identity flows from the fact that I am loved of him. I'm the beloved. He refers to himself over and over in the gospel, the beloved, the beloved, the beloved. The one who Jesus loved. The one who Jesus loved. And it's in his gospel that the last words he said, it is finished. But could it mean it is complete for my bride? Wow. And who's the bride? Me. You. Absolutely. It is finished for my bride. Who represented the church? Peter. Peter. All right, so go to chapter 21 of John. Chapter 21 of John. Where are we going? Chapter 21 of John. And so, so do you know what happens in marriage vows? Marriage vows are statements. Do you take so-and-so and and you say what? Yes. I do. I I do. I I will. Yes. Do you. Do you. I will. I will. What I propose to you is that Jesus is talking to the church through Peter. And he's finishing and completing the marriage vow. That's good. He's completing the marriage vow. Because it said he came back. He came back. He did his part. He gave it to us. It is for the bride. bride. I show you my love. I make you my commitment to you. I did it through action. Now it's your turn to seal the deal. And for you to make your commitment to me. Now some people say he denied him three times and he had to do three times, say he loved him to... To know the effect of that, and there's probably a lot of truth to that. But to me, after he showed me that Peter works, uh, is the church that he calls forth for us to complete the marriage vow, the connection. And so, what he says in verse 15, he says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend or feed my sheep. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd, my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. What I propose to you is that Jesus announces the same and, and wants to solicit the same commitment from each one of us. I, it is finished. I did it for you, my bride. And what I want from you is your commitment. And says, April, do you love me? And for you to complete your vow, George, do you love me? And after you declare your love for him, then he gives you a work to do. From this place of me loving you and you loving me, go ahead and feed the sheep. This place of you loving me and me loving you, from that heartfelt place, tend to my flock. Reach the lost. Heal the sick. But it needs to come from this place of, of romance. Not a romantic in the sense that we think of it between man and woman, but romance in terms of the heavenly understanding of it. It's a spiritual it's a, it's, it's a, the passion is a love story between you and the Lord. And tonight he's saying to you, I finished it all for you, my bride, and do you love me? And we all declare, yes, I love yes, you. Lord, I love yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Amen? Amen. Amen.